is no other king like him. There is no other king. This day is called Palm Sunday and commemorated and remembered as the day where palm branches and cloaks that people on that day would spread out on the road as Jesus entered Jerusalem. This day was not just about palm branches, though. In fact, this day is remembered, and I think we should remember today about the words that were declared on that day and and what that really meant. If you remember that day, and Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 38, that the crowd that day said these words, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's what this day remembers. But what do those words mean? And in a way of introduction today, I want us to think about that. Because on that day, the Pharisees, in response, told Jesus to tell the crowd to stop. To stop saying what they were saying. In fact, they asked Jesus to rebuke the people for those statements. And the Pharisees, I think, they got it. I think they they understood the weight of what the crowd was really saying because this just wasn't any phrase. That kind of welcome that's up on the screen as we read and was said on that day is reserved for Israel's Savior, for the Messiah. And the people wanted salvation. They wanted success. They wanted this Messiah which means what they wanted was a Messiah to march into the city and to do what we would call hard business with Rome. They wanted to be free from Gentile oppression. They wanted that to even happen, even if it meant by force, threats, plagues, like back in Exodus. They wanted to see the sea split, just as their father's experience and recounted and as history told them. They wanted another exodus, one that would expel the Romans. Instead, what they got was Friday. (laughs) A a bloodied, has-been man. A man who would be held in custody by the Romans, rejected by their own leaders, standing next to an infamous criminal, if you remember, called Barabbas. You see, they wanted an incomparable king like no other, but what they got was a beaten blasphemer. Or so they thought. The sounds of the crowd this Sunday that we remember in those words would later betray him by the sounds of hard stone hearts. Blessed is he would soon turn to what? Crucify him. And so when you think about Palm Sunday and what was said, we agree with that and we know what that means, but when you think about the totality of what they were saying and where it ended, It makes your stomach a little sick because you're like, wow. Because what we see is 
the heart of man, the depths of sin, of blindness, the tragedy, the deep tragedy of those words from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. It makes us think, man, I'm not too far removed from that. I, too, can hear my hollow praise. And then turn to shame. And as the song says, we'd hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers just the same. But what I love about Palm Sunday is that there's good news. And that's what this week remembers. It's what every Sunday when we gather remembers that Jesus came to not call the righteous, but to call sinners, to call those who, yes, are yelling out on Friday, crucify him, because we all need to be changed. And so Jesus entering Jerusalem, for me, as I think about this day, means that he was a different king, bringing a different kingdom that impacts us all to change our stony hearts to new hearts. In fact, listen to what he told Pilate. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate asked him, he said these words in John 18, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded by saying this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You see, this is what Jesus was promoting during his whole life, during his whole ministry. He came to prevent this whole new vision to us, to present that. He let every person know that there was another way, a better way than the complicated rules and regulations that the religious crew were teaching in his day. He came to turn the view of the world that people were holding to upside down. He came to speak of something completely different. He came to declare the kingdom of God. And so today, as we think of Jesus entering on a colt, this humble king, I want you to see him as, yes, a humble king, an exalted king, of a kingdom that is different than what this world is about, and that you and I are called, as a result, as citizens of that kingdom, those who have received and trusted in Christ, to live differently, that our character, our ethics, everything about us should be different. And so today, I, I want us to see this, and to see that, I want us to stay in Luke, in Luke chapter six, and I want us to see what the kingdom of God looks like according to its king, Jesus. I want us to look at Luke six, and the context here is Jesus goes up to this mountain and he prays all night, we see in verse 12, and then in the morning, he comes to his disciples. Now, when I say disciples, I say more, it's more than the 12 that we would normally maybe refer to as we say disciples. There's many disciples there, and he picks 12, he selects 12. We'll get to more of that 
uh, later when we go through Luke, we'll come back to this and look at this, but he picks 12 that he calls his apostles, the, the sent ones. And so um, we are familiar with that as well. I'll come back to that. But there were many people there that day that came to Jesus. They'd come from small towns and, and maybe even villages had shut down. Maybe they'd shut down their shops and, and what they had done and, and all to come to hear Jesus. Some even to come and be healed by Jesus. And we read that the power of God was at work that day through Christ. And he healed many. But on that day as he's standing there, he looks and gazes at his disciples and he speaks these words. We know them as the Sermon on the Mount. We see them in Matthew. Many believe we have the same here. What we have here is just a, 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 maybe a summarization of that sermon. This was uh, no doubt much longer. Uh, Matthew, we see he, he picks up a little bit more of the sermon. Luke picks up a little bit more less. Um, and we see here Beatitudes. We also see Luke. He's a little different than Matthew. He throws in woes or judgments. And so as we look at this, here's what I want you to see is this is what the kingdom of God looks like lived out. And this is what God calls his disciples, his followers who follow him as the king and Lord of their life. This is what he calls for them to put into action and to obey. And so this is the kingdom of God here on earth lived out through his church today. And so look at verse 20. As he looks at his disciples, he begins to say these words. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who when men hate you and ostracize you or, or exclude you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. And so he mentions these four beatitudes, these, what the blessed life looks like. We'll get back to it. But then he moves to these woe statements, these sorrowful, sad statements. And so look at verse 24. But woe to you. I mean, you don't want God saying woe to you, all right? You don't want that. And so he says, woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laughed now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the prophets in the same way. We read those last four, and they're very humbling. What is Jesus speaking of here? Well, I want us to think of the culture we live here in America. What, what was our country built upon? When I say that, you, you maybe refer to a few different things, but... Our country was built on the pursuit of happiness. Built on the pursuit of happiness. And what Jesus is talking about here, though, is blessedness. The blessed life. What he's talking about is, is something that lasts forever and doesn't change. 
Because Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He'll be the same. But this happiness, you think about what our culture promotes and has been built upon this pursuit of happiness, it shifts, it changes based on circumstances. But what Jesus is promoting here is he's saying those who have the favor of God resting on them because they have this relationship with him, they know him, they, have, they experience this joy, this, this blessed life as a result of the benefits and the riches of, of God's grace. And it never changes. It, it never is removed. It's not based on circumstances, even through the storms and the tough days. We can live out this blessed life. And so what Jesus does here is he talks really about four things. And when you think about our world and the pursuit that our world goes after, it lines up correctly. It lines up just right. Because our, our world is about wealth, about comfort, our culture is. It's about power, and it's about fame. And Jesus hits those four things head on. And with very counterculture words, says this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And this is what disciples and followers look like as citizens of the kingdom. So he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, in verse 20. But then in verse 24, this corresponding woe says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Now, he's not saying those who are poor are automatically righteous. At the same time, he's not saying that those who are rich are automatically, you know, destined to hell. I mean, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this, that the poor are those who are willing to give up the wealth of this world to follow Jesus. That's who he's talking about. Followers of Jesus are better off poor now and knowing they are part of the kingdom of God than being rich now and having no part in the future kingdom of God. And so the first thing that Jesus mentions here is wealth. And those part of the kingdom are not lovers of money, just as Paul told Timothy as many in the world today, they have as their God, the God of wealth. But what Jesus is saying is that those who follow me, wealth is not their God. They treasure God above all else, above all earthly riches. And so we either worship, when it comes to our wealth, we either worship with wealth or we worship wealth. And Jesus says those who follow him are willing to give up, lay aside earthly riches to pursue and follow him. And so he hits wealth, and then look what he hits next. In verse 21, he says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And then corresponding in verse 25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Now, I wish in verse 21 it said, like I had a little, you know, um, parentheses that said, this does not apply when you eat Mexican food. <laughs> and especially chips and hot sauce, right? That's my downfall, right? My family will tell you that. Um, you see, Jesus moves from wealth. He moves to comfort, and to do that, he speaks of food. Now, obviously, eating is not bad. 
It's not wrong in itself, but if someone decides to follow Jesus because he prefers to have a fuller stomach, that's foolish, right? Those hungry will be satisfied much more with Jesus than any meals that could ever even come close to accomplishing that. They satisfy, Jesus satisfies more than food. And so you either worship with food, that's what Paul talks about, that we live for the glory of God, whatever we do, whether we're eating or drinking, we're thankful for the sustenance, the food that God gives to us, or your God is your stomach. And so what is he pointing to here? He's pointing to the pursuit of comfort and how we, we seek after that and how, I mean, we do. Entertainment. And we pursue that and we pursue that. And Jesus says, my disciples are willing to give up the comforts of this world to follow me. And then he hits power. Interesting here how he does this. Look at verse 21, the last part. He says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And woe to you, in verse 25, who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now think about this. Why do people weep? And people weep because of injustice in the world. People weep because of hate. People weep because of pain and hurt. People weep because of choices they make to, to follow God, and yet they're mistreated and persecuted. And so weeping and maybe mourning. And so what does that mean? It means they're powerless. People are powerless. Jesus says here, the powerful ones might have their life now as they bully others, as they mistreat others, as they persecute others, but their laughter will one day turn to forever sadness, mourning, and weeping. But those of the kingdom will have their weeping here on earth turn to everlasting laughter and joy. you ever thought about this? <laughs> you ever thought about when that last tear on earth falls? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about when, when that husband or that wife looks at their spouse and says, hey, this, this marriage is over? You ever thought about when that last one happens? You ever thought about when that last war is gone. You ever thought about when that, that broken girl, that broken guy who, who's living in devastating ways, where, the, where that just stops, where that, it, it's no more, and that last tear, it falls, and that's it. And then the kingdom of God reigns forever. And Jesus says, listen, on this side of we will weep. We will weep. We're, we're powerless. But he says, my disciples one day in the kingdom of heaven will rejoice. Their mourning will turn to laughter. But those who mistreat, those who bully, those who persecute today, sadness they will find forever. Talks about power, but he hits fame too. I mean, in our world today, we are so wanting to be top dog. We're so many people 
looking after their reputation, wanting to be so noticed, whether it's at the workplace, whether it's at school, wherever it may be, wanting our ego stroked. And Jesus addresses that. He says, blessed are you when men hate you, and they ostracize you, they exclude you, and they insult you and scorn your name as evil. He says, blessed are those who have that for the sake of the Son of Man. He says, be glad in that day, that day when that happens, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets of old. If you, you hear what he said? He said, hey man, when you're excluded because you're living for Jesus, when you're hated because you're living for Jesus, leap for joy in that day. That is so backward, so upside down. But Jesus said, that's the way my disciples live. But then in verse 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Puff you up because of who you are. For their fathers used to treat the prophets in the same way. So he moves from this power, verse 22, to fame. And those of the kingdom live for Jesus, and it may mean we face what he says here. And I think more and more as the day comes, as we live for the truth of God in our culture, in our day, we will face this as we live distinctively for the kingdom and for the way of Jesus and the gospel. As we live out his ways, this will happen. But our gladness and joy will blow the roof off when we see him in heaven. But what are those who seek and experience the fame of this earth living for their name and living for their reputation instead of Jesus's? And so what is Jesus saying here? He says the kingdom of God is not about wealth, comfort, power, and fame like our culture pushes, but it's counterculture. I was trying to think of what, what's a way, what's a, what's a phrase we can sum what he just said up. And, and I love what Jim Elliott said, missionary to the Alka Indians, who lost his life and experienced exactly what Jesus is talking about here. But he said this, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is our wealth. He's our comfort. We recognize we are powerless and that there is only one worthy of all fame and glory, Jesus the King. And he's called us as citizens of the kingdom to live just as Eliot did. To not hold on to the things of this world tightly, but to let them go. Because our gain in heaven is much, much greater. And so if wealth and comfort and power and fame are not what the kingdom of God is about, that's not the blessed life. What Jesus has told us is. So what does this look like as we interact with others? He says we're to love. And so look what he says next. Look at verse 27, 28, and look what he says. But I say to you who hear, those who are listening, 
do this. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now how many times have you sat in a church service like this and somebody teaches on love your enemies, how many times do you hear amens just echoing through the crowd? I mean, I know a few of you were tempted to do that, right? Wow. Love your enemies. Who are they? Those who have done the most harm to you, the most damage, the most evil, the most injustice. Jesus says right here, love them. Wow. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, look, look real quick what he says here. Do good, in verse 27, to those who hate you, meaning show kindness to them, show mercy to them. Then he says, bless those who curse you. Don't return evil when others talk bad about you or, or gossip about you by doing the same, but instead, bless them. I look at that and I think, wow, that's an opportunity to do something. That's an opportunity to be like Jesus. An opportunity to be like Jesus. And then he says also pray for them. And I think that's huge. Pray for those who mistreat you that they would come to what? To repentance. That they would have their lives changed and come to their senses. Now, I will add this. This doesn't mean we don't call the police when they're needed, right? That's not what Jesus is promoting here. It doesn't mean we don't confront. It doesn't mean we don't seek justice when it's called for. That's not the point of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is, our job is not to seek justice. I mean, excuse me, it's not to seek vengeance. Our job is not to seek vengeance, but to what? To pray for them. To show goodness to them. Because that is what our God has done to us. And we are to imitate him. And then look at verse 29. It says, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. All right? And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. This is a simple lesson of don't retaliate, right? Don't retaliate. If a street robber takes your coat, what's Jesus saying? Offer your shirt. And I don't think this means like if somebody comes up and starts, you know, mistreating your family and you're the onlooker, dad. I don't, I don't think it means we, we don't go kung fu. I think we go kung fu, all right? But what he's saying here is, hey, if somebody comes up to you and, and takes your coat, give them the shirt. What he's saying is, hey, show love to them. Give love to them. This is what loving your enemy looks like. But you mess with my girls, and I will, I will, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. I just had to keep, I had to say that. All week I've said they're thinking, man, this is so hard because, anyway. So, Look at verse 30. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. I love this. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. He's simply saying, give freely. Give generously. And again and again, what is he showing us? The way of the kingdom. This is how God is. This is how Jesus lived. And then he says in verse 31, treat others the same way you want to treat, you want them to treat you. The golden rule. And so this command that he gives here summarizes Right, The duty, the responsibility of a disciple to do what? To love their enemies. And really to love all people this way. All people. And so none of this though, you read this and you think, and they're thinking, what? Because this is where I found myself. This, wow, this is hard. Without supernatural 
help. Without the Holy Spirit, his power enabling us to live out love this way because this love is different, it's distinctive. I mean, who loves like this? Well, Jesus says, my disciples do. And so look at verse 32 because he shows us this is distinctive. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit's that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit's that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit's that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. He, he's saying, hey, it's not about just loving those who's easy to love. Jesus is saying, no, I've called you to love those who are hard to love, even, yes, your enemy. And that's what's distinctive about this love. It's God-like love. It's a copy type love that's even expressed to enemies. And then he goes to 35, he says, but love your enemies, as he summarizes, do good and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to, ungra- to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's saying this is how the children of God live. This is how they love, just as God loved. And if you live this way, you've been supernaturally changed by Christ. And he enables you through his spirit to love like this. He says, how how amazing that you were sons and daughters of the most high. And as citizens of the kingdom, we're to be merciful as the Father is merciful. Wow. So lastly, look at these two verses. We'll wrap up. He says, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. One of the most popular verses today in our culture, right? And do not condemn and you will not be condemned, but pardon and you will be pardoned. Jesus here, I want you to see in verse 37, is he's promoting Forgiveness. We are to forgive. He doesn't want us to have judgmental attitudes. He doesn't want us to be condemning. Jesus didn't bring and come to bring condemnation. He he came to bring what? Grace and mercy. I mean, think about the woman at the well. When those there wanted to condemn and judge and, and throw rocks at her and stone her, and Jesus said, who here is without sin? cast the first stone. And Jesus had every right. But he showed love and he showed mercy. And he says, I want you to do just the same, to forgive. Now there are times, right? Judgment is important. To judge is, this is right and this is wrong. Paul says we're not to judge those outside the church, but we're to show them love. We're to point them to Jesus. We're to point them to grace, to Jesus Christ. And there are times inside the church we are to judge one another. We do that, though, in a loving way, not in a condemning way, not in a destroying or devastating way, but in a helpful way that people would repent and turn to Christ. But he says, do not have a judgmental attitude, but instead forgive, move toward grace. And then this love also, and lastly, is generous. Look what he says in verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. 
They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So giving is also merciful. Just as our Father was merciful to us um, by giving his Son to us, the most merciful act of all, and we, Jesus says here, as we give generously, it will be given to you. I want you to look at that last part there as, as we get close to wrap it up here. He gives this picture of really the marketplace, okay? And he says there, he says, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, I want you to think about this. Next time you go to the store, you go to the chip aisle, right? And you see the chips just lined up, okay? Um, you see Lay's, you see Sun Chips, uh, you see uh, Hot Cheetos and Takis, right? Do those count? Some of you guys are looking at me like, I don't even know what those are. Um, but you see all the chips lined up. And have you ever gotten home and you're like, hey, where did the other half go, right? No? Man, we don't have chip eaters here? Come on. You never had that experience where you open the bag and you're like, uh, where'd it go? So here's what I want you to do, because I know some of you do, you just don't want to admit it, all right? So here's the deal. You, you, you get it. Get three of them, all right? I'm, I'm thinking in my mind this is going to work. So get three of them next time you go to your local supermarket and get to the cashier, open them up. Well, actually, don't open them up yet. Press on them, right? Apply this text, okay? Press on them. Shake them up a little bit. Don't crunch them, though. Just trying to maybe get the air out. Then, then open, all right, and realize, oh, wait, and just tell them, hey, listen, I, I need to fill this up, right? And so put this in action. Get a second one. Do the same thing. See what happens. You may need a third, all right? You may need a third. Okay. You going to do that? Probably not, all right? Probably not. Probably not, because you're going to have to pay for all three. So, uh, but what would happen at the marketplace, here's what they would do. They would take this, this bucket and they would take their grain or their corn or whatever, and what, it, what they would do there is they would press it down and shake it and make sure they got as much as they could till it was running over. That should be kind of like a kid's song. And so they would do that until it was running over, and then they would get it and go. And so he's saying here, he says, I want you to understand is this is how God provides he provides in such a way that it, that it runs over. And he wants to give to you in such a way that it runs over. But he says, I want you to give to others in that way. That's why he gives to us in that way. Is he wants us to give to others that he might give through us. And he provides fully. And what he's saying is, I want you to love others the same way. The same way. That's called a generosity theology that Jesus wants us to have. It's not to give to get. It's not prosperity gospel. It's that God gives through us to other people, and he runs us over. It runs over. And so as we end today, as we think about the kingdom of God, we think about Jesus humbly coming on the colt into Jerusalem as king, misunderstood, no doubt, but what was he about? He was about the kingdom of God. Totally counterculture. Turned things upside down. 
Change the thinking of our minds and the minds of generations to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, even here and now. That's why he came. So that we, renouncing the riches, the comfort, the power, and the fame of this world, might find our joy and satisfaction in something much greater. See, when it all comes down to it, what does this all point to? It points to Jesus. And is Jesus king of our life? Is he king? Is he Lord? The Bible calls us to that. Jesus calls us to that, to trust and believe in him as Lord and king of our life. And as we've heard today, there is no greater joy, there is no greater gladness than living for the king of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. And so I pray today as we hear these words that you would understand and see these as the foundation to your life, as things that you today, because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, those who believe in Christ, you walk out of here and say, I must live like this. Just like this. By the power of God and his help. And it won't be easy, and it will be hard. And you will weep. And you may go hungry. You may be poor. That's what Jesus said. But he said, how blessed are you. How blessed are you. I pray, when we read the word of God, when we hear what Jesus says, that we hear it, as something for today, for the here and now. This, is, this wasn't just yesterday's truth. This is today's truth. And this truth is what you and I are called to stand on and live accordingly to, for the kingdom and for the glory of God. Let's pray.